podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. Hi, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association and thank you for joining us today for our podcast entitled Teaching Research Astronomy Utilizing Remote Observatories Around the World. And I'm thrilled to have here today Dr. Paul Hardinson. Dr. Hardinson, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Dr. Hardinson is actually Associate Professor of Space Studies and Manager of the University of North Dakota Observatory. He's with the Department of Space Studies at the University of North Dakota how, in Grand Forks, North Dakota. How's everything in Grand Forks, North Dakota? Oh, spring is arriving late as usual, yeah. but it's getting there. <laughs> Great. You're also, Dr. Hardinson, Director of the North Dakota NASA EPSCOR. And what does EPSCOR stand for? Uh, EPSCOR stands for Experimental Program to Stimulate Competitive Research. It's really an effort to bring NASA money into states that don't get their fair share of federal research dollars, and this is a way to promote NASA research in the state. Dr. Hardson is also Director of the North Dakota Space Grant Consortium, and after reading his 15-page resume, Curriculum Vita, I would say that he is the embodiment of NASA in North Dakota. It was very impressive from your PhD in geology and master's from Rensselaer Polytech Institute as well as your uh, Bachelor of Science degree in Geology and your Bachelor of Arts degree in Political Science. Also, I noticed there are five pages, single space, of research papers that you've worked on, which is very exciting. And I guess my first question is, could you describe a little the University of North Dakota's Department of Space Studies and what makes this program so unique? Well, I suppose the first thing is the program and the way it started was somewhat unique. It was started back in the mid-1980s, about 1987, where Buzz Aldrin, who was one of the first men to walk on the moon, or the second actually, and uh, David Webb, who was at the time the chair of the National Commission on Space, they knew the dean of the College of uh, Aerospace Sciences at UND, and that dean had the idea of starting a space education master's program. So they worked together, and Buzz Aldrin actually came to UND and was in residence for a while to help start that program. And this was envisioned at the time as it was completely new, and it is an interdisciplinary master's degree that discusses pretty much every aspect of the space exploration enterprise. It includes space history, space law, space business on the social side, it includes engineering, and space science uh, on the technical side and it is a way for people to understand how all of these different parts of the space enterprise interrelate and our typical audience has been mid-career professionals uh, within NASA. It started as a campus only program but in 1996 it became a distance program and that's when our enrollment really shot up so that was really been a boon to us. So the program is about 22 years old now. 
22 years old. That's a long time. Yep. Are there similar programs? I have not heard of very many programs that have this course of study. Very few. A military university has something somewhat similar, not exactly, but it's comparable. And there's the International Space University, which is based in France, that is sort of our co-equal as far as providing this type of interdisciplinary education. They provide a master's degree, we provide a master's degree. There are a lot of similarities between the two. Who actually is your audience? Our student audience has traditionally been mid-career professionals, typically people who are already working for NASA uh, in the aerospace industry. Uh, we get a fair number of educators who are interested in the topic, and there is a certain proportion of just the average interested citizen who wants to expand their knowledge of space exploration and development, and they're also a part of our program. We also have traditional students right out of undergraduate degrees who more often than not are our campus students. We do have a smaller campus population, but most of our students are in our distance program. Do you have a bachelor's? Do you have a master's? What are the different degree options or certificate options? It's a master's of uh, space studies. It's a master's degree. Uh, we do offer a minor on campus, but we do not have an undergraduate degree. How is the University of North Dakota Observatory actually associated with the University of North Dakota Space Studies and what online resources are available or do they share? This is an interesting story, a sort of tale of how you shouldn't do things uh, in some respects. I came to UND in 2001 as a PhD student and graduated in 03 and ended up getting a faculty position there. And the way it all started out is the department here in the 1990s uh, wanted to start an astronomy capability for the department and so we have this plot of land about 10 miles west of the campus and we have, or at the time, uh, he had the idea of building an internet controllable telescope. There was another one out there, but that's gone now. But the idea for the internet controllable telescope, it was built in 96-97 and at the time it was a revolutionary idea. It isn't now, but at the time it was a very new idea and it was used for Space Studies class in 2000, I arrived and I was taken out there and it basically didn't work. So this was a case of an excellent idea that was very poorly implemented. They were not the resources, it was a poor design. He only had a part-time student maintaining it and it took me until 2005 to get money to renovate it and I basically ripped everything out of there except for the telescope and replaced it with commercial software better equipment, better computers, better instrumentation, and I had that finally working by the end of 2005. And I, then I started to use that for my distance undergraduate course in observational astronomy. But since then, 2006, we installed a small radio telescope. 2007, we built our second optical observatory. And last year, we built our third optical observatory. So now we have four internet controllable telescopes. And this year is sort of going to stand out because we're all going to be operational this year. I'm finally having students who I can use to support maintaining and operating the site uh, because it's, it's not a trivial effort to maintain something like this. You know, you have to be up all night, you have to maintain equipment, equipment breaks, things don't work, so you have to have an, a very active, continual effort at this. And this is above and beyond my regular job of teaching <laughs> and research and all that. So. This is really a pivotal year, and we're transitioning from construction to operations and then advertising to really get a user base built up. 
Actually, could you describe what types of research and education projects are conducted by the online students from the observatory? Sure. The telescopes at the observatory are pretty much have two functions. Uh, in support of uh, the courses that we have in the department and uh, for research projects, whether it's for master's level thesis research or whether it's just for uh, non-thesis research. So for my class, I teach a 400 level class on observational astronomy and there I have students get as much telescope time as they can. Typically, these students have never controlled a telescope. They have a fear that's, I suppose, understandable of breaking the telescope in case they do something wrong. So you have to disabuse students of the notion that, oh my gosh, I'm going to break the telescope. And the nice thing about the software and the way we have it set up is it's very user-friendly. All you would have to do, Marilyn, if you were at the website, you would click on a link and you would open a browser and that is where you would control the telescope. You could do it from here, you could do it from Massachusetts. We've had a student as far away from Bulgaria as Bulgaria use the telescope. So all you really need is to know how to use the website, which will take a, a 30 minutes to an hour to get familiar with it and have a decent internet connection. So even if you are in Shanghai, for example, and you're trying to use the telescope, and even if you lose your internet connection, as long as you send your program to the telescope, it will run, even though you may get your internet connection interrupted. So it's very robust, it's commercial software, and it's very, very nice. So that is the pretty much course content. Um, I teach a radio astronomy course, and that's where the radio telescope is used. That was used for the first time in uh, summer of last year and I'm going to be teaching a course on solar astronomy this fall and I have a course in advanced observational astronomy that deals mainly with spectroscopy uh, of stars and uh, asteroids which is my primary research and that course doesn't really use any of these resources yet because it's more professional research but there may be a way to incorporate uh, the observatory into that in the future and as far as students as a requirement of graduating they do either the thesis or the non-thesis option. If they do a thesis, they can use the facility and they have to develop the traditional program of study, their research, their methodology, what they're gonna do. Uh, or the non-thesis students, it's similar to a thesis the way we're structuring it now because we want it to be rigorous. One of our real goals is to make the distance education part of the program as rigorous as it is on campus. It has been, but it's always a continual battle because there's a different dynamic between online education and uh, campus education. You need to make sure that the students stay engaged, involved, they don't fall behind, and that's, that's a very important part of distance education is keeping them involved. So if a student wanted to do a research project, they would submit an observing plan. They would schedule with me. I pretty much everything goes through me, and everything is put on our websites so they can know exactly when they're going to observe, what the weather is, what resources are available. They can choose among the different telescopes that are available on any given night. And so they have a lot of flexibility to conduct their project and so they can finish earlier. Because one thing about observational projects is that weather often gets in the way. So it tends to stretch out as far as doing a thesis. This is a way for them to have access to multiple telescopes so they can get the data that they need earlier and do the important work, which is actually the analysis. That is incredible. I, I didn't really realize that you had that capability on your uh, home computer. To be yeah, able to it's, it's amazingly simple. It's nice because, for me, I did not visit or use 
an astronomical observatory until I was a PhD student and started doing my research. But if you can front load that for students and give them the experience early, have them use the telescope, get data earlier at the undergraduate level or early graduate level, that makes them much more comfortable and interested because a lot of students have this innate feeling that, oh my gosh, it's just it's incredible, it's difficult, I don't know if I can do it, but if you show that it's not that difficult and front load that in the education process, then that will give them more interest in doing this further down the road. In our earlier conversation before the podcast, you mentioned the Space Grant Internet Telescope Network. Could you describe that for the audience? Sure. This is uh, an initiative of mine that uh, began since I took over North Dakota Space Grant. I I took that position in fall of 2006, and since I have this work at the UND Observatory, I thought it would be nice to develop a national network of internet-controllable telescopes. This would make it even more user-friendly for students because if it's cloudy in North Dakota, they can use a telescope somewhere else. And we started in fall of 2007, and it it includes uh, North Dakota, it includes South Dakota. There is a private observatory uh, near Quinn, South Dakota, which is in west central South Dakota, and that's the Badlands Observatory. And we also, I did not expect this, but we have an observatory in Israel that is now a part of the network. They only have part-time availability right now, but they're working to automate their uh, observatory roof so they can give us more time. And we have uh, developing relationships with observatories in Utah, uh, Illinois, and Alabama, and hopefully they will join later this year. Uh, But the goal is to have, I'd say, 20-ish observatories around the world that would be a part of this network. In my personal little desire is to have one in Australia and I keep looking for money to put one in Australia because we have a capability to put one in Perth, Australia. We know uh, the manager at the Perth Observatory and he's willing to host a telescope for us and maintain it if we can find the money to buy the hardware and get it over there and get it installed. And that would give everybody access to the southern hemisphere which would be very nice. So and that would give us almost global coverage and that would be really, really nice. So this is definitely a growing effort. It's new, it's relatively young, and so I'm hoping in the next five years or so that we can just keep building this up and then really get the word out and so students and faculty who are at universities who don't have access to this type of resource can have access to it because it's, I designed this to be free of charge. It does not cost anything. There are pay per hour telescopes out there, but when you start dishing out 50 bucks an hour for telescope time, that tends to add up. And for an educational and research goal, I want to make this free. It builds into the larger goal of increasing the scientific literacy of the populace in general, because a lot of people have this notion that doing research is just this incredibly, only these incredibly bright people can do it. But that's not true. Yeah, you have to have a brain, but it's not like it's unreachable for almost anybody. And it's something that can be done, and it takes effort, obviously, to learn, but it's not out of the reach of very many people. How do you actually envision the future potential of Internet astronomy to provide the quality experiential learning opportunities to online students, actually, from around the world? 
Internet controllable telescopes are no longer unique. It's not like our network is the first. There are others. It just really depends. Different universities have different networks. This is really a building enterprise and there are now conferences or parts of conferences that are devoted to this topic and I think it's only going to increase in availability in the future. So, and as the world continues to become more connected, uh, almost anywhere, then this is going to open up opportunities for students in rural locations. North Dakota is mostly a rural state. Once you get outside of uh, Fargo, Grand Forks, and Bismarck, you're in agricultural country. And as long as somebody, even if they only have a dial-up, they can use it. But it's really, the sky's the limit in what this can do. And it's really just getting people informed about this because a lot of people outside of the astronomy community don't know about this. And that's really a key goal. I am sure you've had a lot of challenges. What have they been and how have you addressed them? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, the University of North Dakota does not have a traditional history in astronomy, which makes this a unique challenge. We are split between space studies and the physics department. Uh, the physics department has a couple of astro people, and space studies has me and a couple other faculty who do this type of research. And there has not been a high level of astronomy research in the university prior to the arrival of myself and uh, a few others. The university does not have a history in astronomy and therefore you have to try to convince them that it's an important and worthwhile thing to do and it builds into a larger goal of increasing the research capabilities of the university. And it took a while to pound the pavement and get some interest, but it's been successful. I uh, found money from different sources, uh, from my department, from my college, from North Dakota EPSCOR and from private donations, where we have pumped in about, I estimate, around $150,000 into the observatory in the last four years to build and prepare for this capability. So that really has been the first challenge, uh, showing people that we can do it and it is a worthwhile thing to do. The second challenge, now that we're on the verge of being operational, is we need staffing and we need money. We don't have a regular operations budget yet, and that's what I'm searching for right now. Because if uh, a major piece of hardware fails, then that telescope is down right now, and I don't want that to happen. So I'm searching for operational money that's stable and annual that's always there, and staffing. I would love to be up five nights a week, but then I'd never be able to do my regular job. So I need more than myself. Fortunately, though, I'm starting to see student interest expand since people are learning about this. So starting this summer, I will have two students helping me. We actually have three incoming campus students who have an astronomy background. I'm sure we're going to get one of them. So we're building a core capability and all I really need to do now is find the money, which I'm told it's there somewhere. I just have to find it. So it's just a matter of doing that. So that's really the, the second challenge. And the third one is now that we have this, is to just get the word out. Because people don't think of astronomy in North Dakota because we're not a big research astronomy university. There are a handful, well not a handful, but there are a group of those. But we're really targeting everybody else. Those that don't have much in the way of astronomy or research capabilities that want to incorporate that into their curriculum. Whether it's a straight undergraduate intro astronomy course or whether it is 
an advanced course or whether it's an independent course, it's a way uh, to do that. And even though these are small telescopes, you can still do good basic research. That's really a key. You don't need a, a three meter telescope like the one I use in Hawaii for my research to do a lot of basic research. You can search for things like asteroids, uh, new comets. You can do basic photometry, which is basically measuring the light output from stars, and you can define what type of stars they are. Now, asteroids are these potato-shaped rocks in space that rotate, and if you observe its light, it's going to change because it rotates, and you can derive the rotation period, which is really beneficial to me as an example because that complements my research directly, and it's very good information to have. And there are hundreds of thousands of asteroids between Mars and Jupiter, and we don't know a lot about most of them. So people should not think that we know everything right now. It's far beyond that. And there's, there's a lot to do, and there's a lot of basic work that can be done. Dr. Hardison, thank you so much. You have really been a wealth of information, and I'm sure there are people in the audience who would like to contact you. Could you provide us with your contact information? Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, our website is www.space.edu. That's just the homepage for the departmental website. My phone number is 701-777-4896. And my email address is just my last name, hardison at space.edu. And I'm willing to talk to anybody who has an interest in this. I've had professors from other universities contact me for advice on how they can do it themselves, build facilities like this, or about using the facilities. I'm certainly more than interested in helping people out there. And also the Space Grant Internet Telescope Network. That website is sgitn.space.edu. And the observatory website is observatory.space.edu. So feel free to uh, visit those websites. Give me a call. I'll be more than happy to talk to anybody who's interested. Great. And how do you spell your last name so they can get in touch with you? It's H-A-R-D-E-R-S-E-N. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association. And if you'd like to find out more information about the association, you can look us up on the website at www.usdla.org. Thank you very much, and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. The Fischler School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.